bottom line is we all have cancer. Every day, cancer is seated in the spirit. Diets were a way to abuse myself. And a chiropractor actually saved my life and changed my world. I mean, actually the chiropractor, I would say, didn't even touch my back. My stomach was so overrun with sugar that I couldn't really eat. You know, I'm eating tomatoes and carrots and hummus and I'm thinking healthy, healthy. And he's like, Becca, all I hear is sugar. Sugar is the cocaine of food and cheese is the heroin. We have the power to heal ourselves. Attunement is bringing the vibration of love through the sacred endocrine system. Cancer is socially acceptable suicide. Welcome to tonight's episode of The Health King's Court. I'm your host, Zach the Health King. A quick disclaimer to keep myself out of trouble, anything that you hear in this podcast is not intended to be taken as medical advice. The thoughts and opinions you hear shared are just that, thoughts and opinions. And any action that you take based on what you hear is done at your own risk. And with that said, enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome to the Health King's Court, Ancient Wisdom and Modern Health. Today's guest is Becca Copeland. Becca is a health coach, an attunement practitioner, a holistic cancer coach with BeCancer.org, and a yoga teacher. And I'm very honored to have her here. And so Becca's located over in Colorado. She's coming to us from uh, the Disneyland of America, apparently. <laughs> the earliest thing I have here for you is that you started as a, as a health coach. So can you tell me about that? What made you want to be a health coach in the first place? Uh, I want to become a health coach uh, because of my own wellness journey. I was at the age of 40, just battling some health things, high blood pressure. I had been gaining and losing weight in groups of like 70, 60 to 70 pounds at a time since the age of 13. And uh, my gut was a mess. And I just didn't know how to care for my body. I was struggling so, so hard. And a chiropractor actually like change, I literally say save my life and change my world. And that's when I started educating, I became a health coach and I wanted to help people. And I wanted to empower people, show people how to take their wellness back in their hands and be in charge. Um, Cause that was something I felt that I was never in charge of my wellness. And today I am full empowerment. That's amazing. Now, did you, what would you say were the contributing factors to those weight swings because 60 70 pounds I mean that that sounds pretty significant did you ever oh. figure out exactly what was doing that well after many years um of self-education it really came down to my own self-worth and um I, diets were a way to abuse myself in a sense it was like setting myself up for self-sabotage so it was like taking on a lifestyle, doing it really well, getting the results, and then slowly not doing those things anymore. And then it just all coming back. Um, that's kind of what the pattern was. Um, and just not understanding the big component, sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and that food for me was love. It was intimacy. It was something that started as a child. I was overweight at the age of eight. I would say by nine, I was, I was 
the biggest person in my, in amongst my peers. So it's something that started at a very young age of using food for, for comfort and for protection and safety. Yeah, that, that, that's something that I think hits home for a lot of people. And I can certainly relate to it because, and, and it's really unfortunate because when you're a child, you don't have a choice, really, you know, you, I mean, maybe you have a choice to eat the candy or not, but if it's fun, put in front of you and you're not taught better, you're going to eat it. So I definitely share in that experience, you know, and that's because it's not seen as such a big deal by most people. It's a quiet suffering sugar addiction, you know, because people aren't even going to realize it's necessarily happening to them. And if you tell people, people aren't really helpful, right? You could say, oh, I'm trying to cut out sugar. And then you go to your Christmas party and oh, no, just one cookie, just one cookie, just one brownie, have it, have it, live a little. Uh, but, you know, they wouldn't say that to someone who, who's a recovering alcoholic or, or recovering drug addict in, in other capacities. Well, hopefully not. But uh, the the awareness is is so low in in how serious people take sugar addiction. But yeah. you also touched on another thing too about the self worth because the lack of that needs to be filled with something, and those dopamine hits from sugary things is is a really easy one. I, I feel that I feel that on a deep level for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Those great comments. Those are great questions. Yeah. And so your chiropractor sounds awesome. And let's talk about that because chiropractors get a bad rap. And myself, I've never been to a chiropractor, but I work with a clinical shiatsu specialist. And I don't know what you know about that, but it's uh, it's sort of like an Eastern equivalent in, uh, but or East, Eastern adjacent practice. So there's a lot of, you know, cracking where appropriate. Um, so where, how, what brought you to want to go to a chiropractor firstly, and then is, is there any other fantastic things that came from working with one? Yeah. I mean, actually the chiropractor, I would say didn't even touch my back, which is amazing, <laughs> right? If you always think a chiropractor, you think you're back. And he never, the only thing he did was look at my tongue. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Um, but it, it actually was a step process. I, was doing some acupuncture at the time because I had a really painful neuroma on my foot. And so I was seeing a chiropractor or I was seeing an uh, uh, acupuncturist for that, but she was also doing a couple of other things like looking at my digestion. Um, and she was saying how my digestion was tired. It was weak. Um, and of course I probably knew that I was in a hot, I, I couldn't eat at this point in my life. My stomach was so overrun with sugar that I couldn't really eat. I, I was nauseous. I was sick all the time. And I try not to get too much information, but I, let's just say I couldn't be far from a bathroom ever. Yeah. Um, and so she recommended me to the chiropractor that she had shared an office with. And so I saw him and he looked at, he took a look at my tongue and he looked at me in the eyes and said, Becca, you are overrun with the sugar dragon and we need to put a war on your gut. And I was like crying. I'm like, yes, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm a diet expert. This is like thing. I know everything. I mean, I've been dieting for 30 years. And when I told him what I was eating, I'm like, this is, I said, I'm barely eating. I'm eating tomatoes and carrots and hummus. And I'm thinking healthy, healthy. And he's like, Becca, all I hear is sugar. And that was like, what is he talking about? 
And so that's where I got really informed on sugar. And that was huge for me because, and then all the people that used to talk to me about dieting, it was almost like I could hear them now because I used to eat, everything was based on calories and fat. And so like, oh, I ate a yogurt. It was 90 calories. Yeah. And 18 grams of sugar, of fake sugar. I'm like, and then I'll have a, a bagel or a, let's say an English muffin and a piece of fruit. Well, that's entire sugar now that I'm more educated on nutrients. Um, so yeah, it was huge. It was huge for me. And he showed me how to eat for the time to heal my gut or to at least start feeling better. Yeah. I always say calories are a myth. They're a farce. They're very farcical. And it's a lot of to the detriment of society because people have been led to look at that one metric that really isn't scientifically real in, in the way that it's used. And that's their one, you know, thing that they look at for health. And then they don't have to bother looking at anything else, ingredients, macronutrients, micronutrients, no ah, calories, calories, done, done. It's, it's the lazy man's health metric. It really yeah. is. And, and it's so detrimental. I, I, I calories are, are just a myth. They're nonsense and not enough people are saying it. I'll say it. Zach, I love it. It's so true to me. I don't even think about how, like, because of my transformation, I am so freed. My mind used to be so obsessed with everything going in my mouth. And now I don't even do that. I don't count calories. I don't really weigh myself. Like none of those obsession things anymore. It's really, what is that food made of? And if it's not made of the qualities I want, it doesn't go in my mouth. That yeah, was it's the really... Yeah, it's, it's really that simple. And if it's made of good stuff, you won't overeat it inherently because it will satiate you and then you're good. And it's funny you said that. I just made a post on, on Twitter right before we got on uh, talking about how looking at a scale is, is nonsense as well. I mean, yes, it has some sort of relevance. You can, it can consider it in the totality of your health. But there's people that are very muscular and then they're overweight. They're actually obese. And they'll be told that they need to lose weight by, you know, doctors. And then there'll be someone who's very pudgy, but they have different body composition. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's very silly. And is it, is weight real? Yes. But is it the only thing to look at? No. And a lot of women fall into this trap. And that's why I'm very happy that, you know, you said you've broken yourself out of it because a mirror is a more important metric. I always say. Look at the mirror. How do you, and, and that, see, that gets a little deeper even because when we have self-worth issues, then the mirror seems like it lies. <laughs> but oh, yeah. mirror yeah. work is the hardest and most rewarding and healing practices one can do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We, we, we have to be on our own team. And if our mind isn't on our own team, it's going to be very hard to succeed if at all possible. But your chiropractor sounds awesome. It sounds like he was an example of someone who was officially and licensed as a chiropractor to have a business. And I'm sure he knew that, but it sounds like he knew a thing or two in, in a bunch of different areas that he was able to bring in there. Yeah, he did. I was, I felt like a special case for him because he really worked with Olympic athletes. Wow. But he was, and he did look at me like an addiction. Cause like when I start literally no sugar, like nothing from a food perspective that even turned into sugar for like 60 days, 
but the weight flew off my body and I'm a dieter. So I was ecstatic. I couldn't believe in two months, 40 pounds. I was like, what was this? And I was feeling so good. And he's like, Becca, you don't even know what you can do. He's like, you're just coming up out of the fog. And so I was thinking about all addicts. He's like, this is what happens. It doesn't matter what you're addicted to. If you have an, if you're in an addiction pattern, you're in this low vibration and coming up, he was just like, you're just coming up. You don't know how far you're going to go. And he's like, Becca, you can create your own service, your own business. He's like, that's what the future is about. You're creating something that doesn't exist today. And that's what our kids are going to do. We are here to create what's coming from the um, invisible. That's beautiful. That's very beautiful. That's a soundbite right there. (laughs) (laughs) So here's a question. Knowing what you know, how do you define sugar? When you say you recommend against sugar, a lot of people say it's this, it only means this, or it includes that. How do you define sugar? I define sugar as, well, it could be, it's in everything. That's the thing. So for me, it's really, I get to know somebody. So that's where I, this is my differences is I step into that very secretive space. How people care for themselves is held very close to the vest and honesty. Um, how honest are they in with themselves, let alone with their accountability or whoever they might be working with? Um, because sugar can be in hamburger buns. Like somebody would, I worked with a client one time and she said, I don't eat sugar, but she went to Chick-fil-A almost every day. And you know, that there to find a hamburger bun or any type of bun that's not made with high fructose corn syrup is near impossible. So sugar is getting into every aspect of our diet. So for me, it's about knowing how they eat and telling them where their sugar is hidden because you can't get away from it. Our kids eat at least 65 pounds of sugar a year, 65 pounds. Yeah. And you know what? It's those visuals and those representations that really hit people if they're at all able to be hit and and, and you know have their eyes open to it those because I uh, was working with someone actually very close to me and they have gone through a transformation of being a little you know healthier in, in a lot of ways but they were drinking this particular tea this just off the shelf green tea every day jugs of it by the jug and yeah (laughs) yeah and so I looked at the back and I knew what the numbers meant right I knew you know x amount of grams this and that per bottle per serving whatever but as you know not everyone can especially if you've never done meal prep you've never weighed food out you don't really have an understanding of what how many grams you know what that looks like and so I gave him a representation. <laughs> I gave him a representation. <laughs> I took some like flour or whatever, whatever else and weighed it out on just how much he was drinking per day. He hasn't drank it since. <laughs> and, so, and so sometimes that's what it takes. Those visual, hey, you are drinking this mountain every day or every month or every year. Uh, and people get grossed out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, those teas, my daughter gets it too. It's more than soda. They're, um, I Hers was 44 grams. I was like, this is yeah. more than 
soda. Yeah, yeah, it's nasty. Yeah, and tea, tea is a dangerous one because a lot of people think that they're doing something good. Better. It's tea. Oh, it's not. It's not soda. It's not juice. It's it's tea. Well, what's in that tea? You know, tea is a, is a very umbrella term that can be put on a lot of things that are very far from tea. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about acupuncture? Because I've experienced acupressure, which is an adjacent um, art, just without the needles. It's, you know, using the pressure points just yeah. via uh, manipulation. What's acupuncture like? Because I don't know. It just freaks me out. <laughs> I did a same thing. I was kind of freaked out by it, but it's amazing. It's like an energy release. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the best place is in the jaw. Like she would put them here. Yep. It was better than a massage. It was like my whole body just relaxed. Yeah. Um, it's definitely worth trying uh, at least once. Maybe go for something particular if you have a pain. Or you can even go for your digestion. I mean, you're young. I don't know. But, uh, but you could go for anything. And there's community ones, at least here in Colorado, where it's like, I'm assuming they're new acupuncturists, but they're way cheaper. You can usually go for 20 or $30 and they'll do just kind of basic stuff in the hands and along the calf and feet. Yeah. But, and um, like our feet and I think our hands and even in our ears are all related to our organs as well. So, um, and we know how important our organs are to be working, functioning for our detox. Yeah, absolutely. The jaw releases are, are very significant. That's something that I have a lot of experience in. Um, I have some old pelvic injury from bodybuilding and the pelvis is related directly to the jaw. And there's also certain emotional ties to the jaw um that yeah we've been dived into it it's <laughs> it, it's very significant that's cool but yeah the needles man they just they, they freak me out a little bit but you know you can't really feel them yeah. you really can't feel them They're, it's not like if you're scared of needles at the doctor you know the blood thing it's not the same <laughs> so and i'm squeamish so i say yes i definitely say at least try once and it's the bottom line, it's an energy medicine because it's uh, removing the blocks of the energy moving through our body. Absolutely. And, and so that sounds like it would relate to the next question of you being an attunement practitioner. Can you yeah. tell me about that? What, yes. I guess, this got is, you into that? And then what does that include when you work with people? Yeah. So this is my gift. This is my gift. Um, attunement is bringing the vibration of love or source or divine, whatever you want to call it, through the sacred endocrine system, which is the pineal, pituitary, thyroid, thymus, the tail of the pancreas, the adrenals, and then our gonads. So ovaries for women and testes for men. And each one of those glands is associated with a spirit. And it's a, um, we are, it's the seven spirits to, or seven gateways to heaven. And we are the gateways to heaven on earth now. Heaven is here for us now to experience. It's not something after we die. And what got me into this is cancer, actually, which leads me to my next two, the can holistic cancer coach in yeah. this. Um, in 2020, my boyfriend was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. He had, um, it actually originated in the esophagus and mutated, went on into the stomach and metastasized. So I got a crash course in cancer quickly and this modality, I believe from spirit came into my life and it 
just changed everything for me. It, it's a deep conscious meditative practice and it is the connection with source. And when I did my holistic cancer coach training, um, that was stated that cancer is seated in the spirit and our connection or lack of connection to spirituality, to our connection to love, I believe is a huge factor in our cancer. And, uh, yeah, it's like, literally I get to pour love into people every day and it's helping them tap into their own self-healing abilities because we have the power to heal ourselves. The spirit that made us is the spirit that will heal us. And we are superhuman beings. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. There's absolutely a lot, There's to a unpack lot. There. But, it was, but it was all beautiful. Um, I, you know, wholeheartedly agree. You cannot separate the physical from the metaphysical or the spirit or, or the energy or the source, you know, whatever name or, or label or descriptor we want to put on it. It's really undeniable that our physical health is tied to it. Now people can argue how strongly that is. I think it's, you know, one in one, you, you cannot separate it. Um, but yeah, that that's, I'm, in agreeance. And it's unfortunate, of course, always to hear about a story of suffering that was a catalyst to further learning and education and, and further people getting healed. But in that way, uh, passing is never in vain. And then any help that goes on to be offered to others is kind of in that person's honor. And that's a, a that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But, so you just to, to back up a little bit, um, where's the so the, the line of uh, attunement practicing or the, or the mindset behind it or, or the origin philosophy, where does that come from? Is that a particular, you know, um, cultural origins where, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, actually the origins go way back to Jesus. Jesus was a yogi. Jesus was an attunement practitioner helping people heal. I don't know what was going on in that time, but I feel like there might've been a lot of disease and sickness. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it, it came back in the late 1920s, early thirties through a gentleman, his name is Lloyd Arthur Meeker. And this was given to, I should say, channeled or spirit visited him and gave him this practice of this energy medicine of bringing energy, the vibration of love through this endocrine system. And yeah, he started practicing it um, in, I believe it was 1932 is his official kickoff. And um, he started a ministry called the Emissaries of Divine Light. And that's what, that's who I work for or part-time. I have, I do a lot of businesses, yeah. but I, I actually, that's where I live. I live, he started a, a community in 1945. He bought land here in Loveland and it's called Sunrise Ranch. And this is the longest um, intentional community in Northern America. And he started teaching attunement here in 19. I think 45, I'm going to say 46 was his first class and yeah, he's been growing his ministry ever since. However, he died very young. He was in a plane crash and died in 1954, right? 
I don't know. Don't quote me on all these dates. Yeah. It was led by another um, gentleman, uh, Martin Cecil. And now currently there's another leader, David Karsher is leading. But yeah, this practice, this is how it kind of came back into modern day in the thirties. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm not a biblical scholar by any means. I've read passages here and there, um, but I have seen bits of information talking about, now I might butcher this, um, the quantity of disciples of Jesus correspond to the quantity of segments in some sort of bodily system that goes up the spine. Uh, is that, does that sound familiar to you? It doesn't sound familiar to me. However, yes, there's a lot of similar modalities. Like a lot of people will compare this to Reiki because Reiki has the chakra zones that go up again, the spine from the, the root to the sacral solar and up. But I did see, I do have a spine caption that has virtues that go all the way up the spine for each vertebrae. Um, so I wonder if that's similar. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I didn't look into it too much, but I saw a post just talking about how, and it was like a school of thinking and how, you know, the the biblical stories are allegorical for our self and health and getting closer to God and in closer to love is like Jesus ascending up the mountain with his disciples to the, like the pineal gland. And that's bringing the Christ-like love energy up the body. Yes. Uh, I forget, you know, I don't know if I'm wording that right, but uh, yeah, I have seen interesting information of, of correspondence in that, in that way. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly, it's exactly true. Like, I mean, I, my whole package of training is yes, we are conscious beings and we have the power to create consciousness in this rich, juicy, energetic field that surrounds us. And it comes from the spine that fluid moves up and down the spine and it's created in the brain through the pineal and the pituitary. Um, Cause you also hear like the honey or the dripping of the honey. I, I don't know how that comes, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's magical when you think about it, especially how the body's designed because the, the endocrine system is like one of the first things that starts in the embryo. We have our adrenals at six weeks. So yeah. it's like, I see the silver thread and that's, that's our essence. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah, it's spirit. And that's what Jesus was about. It was not about religion and all the rules and all this. It's spirituality. It's our gift from God when we're born and it's our right. Yeah. It's very unfortunate to see how much corruption there is in the religious world and how far the concept of religion in, in all ways and all the different major religions has been taken uh, away from its potential origins of just trying to live a good, healthy, aligned life. It's uh, but at the base and that turns a lot of people off from ever exploring the beauty that is in in all the religions. Yeah. That was for me. I didn't grow up with any type of religion or spirituality or anything higher than myself. So again, when I was 40, it was like I was lost. I was doing everything that I thought was right. And I should be happy and should be, should be. And I wasn't. And now I'm lit up. I say I'm lit up from the floor up 
and uh <laughs> yeah and you, you certainly radiate that 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 certainly is is very evident uh you just you know through the screen i could tell how how cheery and, and how authentic that is and it's beautiful it, it's refreshing to see because i think so few people have that and, and i can relate because i myself uh was relate was raised in a like half religious household um but then at age 13, I kind of turned away and, and I went the logical atheist route um, and, and thought I was too smart for uh, for God and, and too smart for religion to make sense. And those were dark times. Those were dark years. And, and no matter what I was doing, it just felt very unfulfilling and um, never quite felt like I had my head fully screwed on straight, you know. And then um, the closer I've gotten to God since then uh the better life feels you know it, it feels like trying to live without god to me is like trying to run a computer without software there's just nothingness to it because then there's no point there's no there's no substance within it's hollow you know if everything's just random and nothing matters well one we could talk about how dangerous that ideology is uh for society but two, it, it's, what are you living for? You need something to be living for. And that's why it gets replaced with hedonism and, and degeneracy, because that's offered as a substitute more and more, especially these days, until you find God. That's how I see it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I so agree with that. And yeah, it's a, the higher self. That's who we're living with every day and the better that relationship the closer we have that higher self to us the better like like you said we're, vib we're vibrating higher life is showing up amazingly to our wildest dreams and then death when death arrives that's who's waiting for us we get to be reunited with that higher self and death shouldn't be um scared it's part of our spiritual journey and that's also been part of my cancer journey with my boyfriend is that having to realize that his choice is death. You know, there's a point of healing and then there's a point of, of leaving, of dying. And um, to, as a cancer coach, it's supporting whatever the decision is of the client. Yeah. I think people that are afraid of death are not fulfilled in this lifetime. I think it comes from a fear of knowing an innate, an innate feeling that, they haven't been living right or they haven't done what their mission was in this lifetime. Cause I feel like if you know, you have been living right, then you accept death when it comes because you know, you were doing what you had to do. Now, I don't know what comes after, you know, I, I have different thoughts, but I, I can't speak in certainties, but I, I really like what you touched on about how we can manifest or, or create heaven or hell on earth because uh, i i think that's very real i think the state of society and the state of the world is a collective creation of people's internal and are there more people internally existing in hell in their day-to-day -day existence or existing in heaven and because from chaos can only come chaos as without is so within, you know? And I, I think that's very real. I think, you know, it's very idealistic 
But if everyone somehow got themselves straight, I think we could absolutely have heaven on earth. But, and that's talking on a collective side, but you're, you could start from within and then your home, you can start with your home and then your home could be heaven on earth. And then you could, everywhere you go, bring that little piece of heaven in just that vibration in that, that energy, that good love energy that radiates from you. And you bringing heaven on earth everywhere you go. And, you know, you kind of infect the world around you with that. And the more people doing that, I, I think the better, you know, life becomes collectively, but it, but it all starts from within, then it goes to the family unit and then it goes to the community. And that's why we all got to start from the beginning. You know, people have these grand concepts of I'm going to do this in the world and then the world's going to change or we're going to pass this law or I'm going to protest and do that. And I'm going to tell everybody, fix yourself, you know, <laughs> fix yourself first. <laughs> yeah. What I'm, another one of my saying is that as long as there's war with self, there'll be war in the world. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard. The war with self is hard. I, I, I struggle with it sometimes, you know, I'm not going to lie and say I'm a perfectly happy, fulfilled person that lives every day joyously. No, you know, I, I still have things that, um, you know, that I struggle with and, and try to get myself up. But that's the that's the fight that we must fight. That's the the work that really matters, because the external accomplishments are going to reflect that. So if you're, if someone, a lot, a lot of times people say, oh, I don't have time for that. I got, I got work to do. Well, <laughs> you don't do this, then that's going to suffer anyway. Yep. It's so true. So what do you do uh, when you work? So when, when you work with someone as an entombment practitioner, what does that process look like? Or, or you could even couple that into the cancer coaching because it sounds like they're very intertwined. Well, what's your yeah, process? Are, yeah. Cause and the bottom line is we all have cancer every day, you know? So it's, are you feeling, feeling it or preventing it? Um, so my business is called tune-ups with Becca and it's really them coming in and listening, listening to what's moving for them in their world. And they may be coming to me for, uh, they've been diagnosed with cancer and they want a different way or they need support. The biggest thing um, is support through this journey that they're going to be on, whatever path they decide to go on. And so I give them an attunement. So we chat and then give them attunement. Attunement takes about maybe a little less than 20 minutes. And then I give them an affirmation. So we look at the Louise Hay book. I, I think I have it right here. I'm an absolute supporter or of Louise, Louise Hay, it's, you can heal your life. And she healed herself from ovarian cancer, but she has related every dis-ease, dis-ease in the body to a negative thought pattern and our running in our subconscious because 95% of our life is run by our subconscious. And so it's about replacing that negative thought pattern with the positive one. So I give them that. And then I usually get visions of animals. I, I believe in animal medicine. So I leave, read the message to them. And if they are working on lifestyle changes, cause that is the key, 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 key is habits. What habit are they working on that they want to show up differently? And I work on stretches. So for example, 
Becca, I drink a bottle of wine every night. Okay, check. How can we get that reduced down? And so that's what we work on. Like, can you do a half a bottle? Like whatever that process looks off to get them off of, I shouldn't say off of alcohol. I'm no longer drink alcohol, but um, to at least get it down to not daily, it's gotta be in moderation. I mean, that's key number one in even yoga philosophy, moderation, moderation um, and balance. So that's kind of what it looks like. And it's really ingraining that they want to show up for their higher self and be their best friend. And that doesn't mean, oh, it's okay to pound the McDonald's or I don't even know what the habits are. I don't want to be too judgmental, but the, the soda, um, whatever it might be. I mean, those are the things, right? The sad diet, getting them off the sad diet. Um, but not overwhelming them. That's the biggest thing you can't go, like you said, chaos, chaos, like, okay, now I've got cancer or whatever the disease. It can't be like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? It's like, no, we've got this one step at a time. We'll take it. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. I like what you said at the beginning there. Everybody has cancer because what is cancer? Cancer is cells that aren't right. Cancer is cells that are just not in a healthy state. They're just, they're not right. And that's a very basic way to put it, but I think it's true that that's how I see it. Cancer is cells that are just wrong or, or unhealthy. And so, yeah, all of our thought patterns are, dietary things and things that we're inputting can skew those cells in, in even minor ways. And that can be looked at as cancerous. And if you don't change that, that's going to spread how many cells in your body are askew or, or not quite right. That's a very interesting frame that you put on it. And I, and I think it's very valid and it's a good way to consider things because I think that framework can prevent people from ignoring, ignoring, ignoring until the alarm bells and sirens are going off of suddenly, oh, you have this gigantic tumor and you're going to die. If you consider, hey, every day I wake up, I might have a little cancer. Am I going to work to fight that down or am I going to feed it every day pre, uh, preemptively or proactively? I think that's a really, a really healthy framework that, that you just laid. Yeah. For, cause like, I know a big trip up for me was people will not necessarily want to work with me because I haven't had cancer. However, I was very intimate with the process from the beginning to the end. However, I do, I live a cancer or disease fighting lifestyle every day because I follow the guidelines. I, and that's why I look this way. I'm not trying to brag, but <laughs> I'm going to be 50 in June, five zero. And I look so young. I mean, I, I'm starting to get a little wrinkles here and there, but people have to look at my license. They're like, you're lying. You're definitely <laughs> under 40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The results speak, you know, you, you can't deny that. And, you know, working with bcancer.org and, and several cancer coaches so intimately, it's something that I hear a lot that uh, there's a celebration or really a, it's kind of like it, like an admiration or an, uh, an, what's the word affinity for cancer coaches that themselves had cancer. And that's, I get it. 
you know, I get someone wants to know, hey, this person has been through what I am experiencing specifically so they can help me and they know what it's like. Um, so I, I understand the desire for a patient to want to work with someone who has had it, but I do think they're potentially selling themselves short and uh, cutting out a lot of fantastic options because for what it's worth, I mean, someone who's never had cancer has more experience being healthy. You can look at it like that, you know? And I love that, Zach. I love that. Yeah, that, that's not a jab to any cancer coaches that have turned their life around after having cancer, because that's wonderful too. But, you know, if, if someone has always been good um, in, in health, then why is that a bad thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing is I haven't always been. Like when I was 40, I didn't look like this. I was not tracking to be youthful. Um, and I, that's why I tell people I found the fountain of youth and I'm getting younger each year. And that's why my business, I'm going to change my business name again, but I tagged myself as Becca buttons because I'm aging in reverse. Oh, okay. Okay. I see um, you there. <laughs> and I, I tell myself, if I did get cancer, I'm doing the things I'm doing the things now that I would have been, if I had cancer had to make these life change, lifestyle changes. I've already done it. So that's what I'm so grateful for myself for is that if it was to happen, I'm already doing the things. So, um, cause that's the key component is doing, we all know, but it's execution. It's doing the knowing that is the, that's where the gold is. That's where the results are. Yeah. And that's where I come in to help you do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what do you, this is an interesting question. What do you do if, uh, if you're working with someone and they're just resistant and, and they're not doing, they keep, maybe they keep saying, or maybe they're just drudging along. Does it get to a point where you say, Hey, like <laughs> you're, you're oh, not yeah. doing our work here. <laughs> For sure. Well, that was my boyfriend. Like, <laughs> mm. like when I met him, I was already on my path of this eating better and all stuff. And I was helping him eat better. Um, but again, it comes down to there's something hold that they're holding on to resisting. And you have to be okay with that. Um, you can't be attached. That number one source of suffering is attachment. And for me, it's just about being the biggest cheerleader. There's so many different areas that somebody can make life lifestyle changes in. It's finding the low hanging fruit. Um, and sometimes it's just companionship, pure and all just companionship. Uh, loneliness is the is a quarter of the world is experiencing loneliness. And this time of the year is the highest. So for me, it's just being a companion and being a cheerleader and uh, accepting them and they'll make the decision when they're ready. Yeah, that that's beautiful. And um, I, I agree. We are communal creatures, right? We are not meant to be isolated. That's uh, it's, it's very important for our health in, in all realms, mental, physical, we are meant to give and receive love in some capacity. And a lot of people find themselves without anyone to give or receive love with. And that can look in a lot of different ways. Perhaps perhaps they themselves have made decisions that have isolated themselves and they themselves are a very unhealthy person. So of course, 
no one's necessarily going to want to build a fantastic relationship with them. But on the contrary, a lot of people find themselves surrounded by unhealthiness. They try to rise themselves up, but then that's a very lonely struggle and that's a very lonely path. And they don't necessarily know how to find or connect with anyone um, that's, you know, on, on a similar path as them. And so if uh, we don't, of course, don't have to go into it, but um, I'm interested, of course, always to hear specific uh, instances. So with, with what happened with your boyfriend, he that you were with him when um, you were living a more normal, I, I guess, life. And then he was a little resistant to changes that you were finding were bringing you into a positive direction. But of, co well, of course, we don't, we don't have to talk about anything. Oh, yeah. Right? No, we can talk about the details. Um he just did not, he resisted the diet changes. Um, he, he had to go through chemo, um, because he had a tumor over his esophagus or on his esophagus covering the stomach. So he couldn't get food in. So the first round of chemo actually took, receded that tumor so he could get food in. Um, however, chemo destroys the, the, the GI tract. I mean, I, not a, a chiropractor or anything or whatever, but there's, um, I know a chiropractor that works specifically to help repair the GI tract after chemo. And he just would not stop eating like biscuits and gravy and bacon and eggs and potatoes, like all the foods, like everything that should not be eating. He was eating even during the chemo treatment, he would just be so sick. And I was like, you, your body is like this little seed. I told him, I said, your health, you're getting it back. Right. So you have, this is your health. It's a seed and it's a baby. I said, your baby, Sandy. And what would you feed a baby? You would not feed the baby, this huge takeout, the baby wouldn't eat it. Yeah. And so he resisted to eating really, really simply. Um, and that was on him. And so that was hard for me, but however, he suffered for that. Um, and he could just never, he could not get it back. So he did, um, six months of chemo to get rid of the stomach cancer. And then they did radiation about six months later on the esophagus and both of them nearly killed him both, but the GI tract just never could get back. Right. And then the cancer did come back again. He tried another round, which nearly again killed him. He got down. It was similar to what Susan's husband, when, when he died, it was malnutrition, but he went on to hospice the end of 2022 and he just passed a month ago. Yeah. It's hard for me to put myself in someone's shoes that's in that situation. And then in that mental framework. And if you don't mind, uh, of course we can, go on to a different topic at any time. What do you think it was that was the point of resistance? Was it a baseline? Like, I just don't believe in that knowledge. And so I'm not going to think that it's diet. I don't think that's going to make a difference. Was it a, a self-image thing? What What's the disconnect there? Because to me, it's like, okay, I'm in this situation that'll work. Okay. I'm going to do that. But what got in the way there? You think? I think it was a couple of things. I do think it was mental and some type of self-sabotage in a way. 
because I was introduced to this book. I can't remember the next name of it, something biogenetic, but it was done by an oncologist who him and his wife both got cancer after their their son was killed, like murdered in France. It was like a political thing. But when him and his wife both came down with cancer, he got very curious and he went back to all of his cases and he um, associated each one of the cancers with some type of conflict. Yep. And so esophageal conflict is some kind of financial, maybe inheritance. And I know he had something in his past around inheritance. So I don't know if there was just something in there he couldn't forgive or, and I also think he used food for comfort and it was hard for him to release mm -hmm. that just similar to like me, we were like good mirrors for each other in our relationship because I could see him using food all the time for comfort, even though that was the thing that was hurting him. So, yeah, I just, again, it comes down to some type of subconscious, something working in the background that needs to be released. And he wasn't, I just feel in my mind, he wasn't willing to go there, get that really in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's certainly easier to, ride the train on down and then uh put up a fight you know because it, it is a it is a fight you know and, and especially if you feel like you're in a losing situation it's hard to pick up your boots and and really go to war at that point which is, is technically what you have to do um yeah you have to have fair. the energy and that was um the other part of the training was Susan said that cancer is socially acceptable suicide. And so that's where, yeah, she said that. And I was like, wow. And so it is, so that was where a mind shift for me came to be honoring saying that, okay, Sandy's, this is his choice for his death. And that's okay. That's his choice. It's his journey. It's his life. And to honor it and not resist it and say, come on, you want to heal. You want to get better. And really better is transitioning to the other side. Because I believe it's that you were still doing your investigations or your learning, but we're infinite beings. We've come in and out of this earth school multiple times. And um, he's with me now. I mean, I feel his love more now than I have in years because he's not suffering in that human body anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really important point. I think a lot of people spend too much energy trying to interfere with other people's free will and interfere with other people's choices and paths uh, because they think that they're bad choices or maybe they even know that they're bad or unhealthy choices. And that just causes suffering for everybody involved, right? Because now you're like upset with the person for making these decisions. You're gonna be like causing conflict with them and and then they're gonna be annoyed with you um of course it's a, it, important to be there for people and uh you know encourage good decisions but all things are nuanced um yeah but ultimately we have to let people do what they're going to do yes Ooh, that's hard yeah that's one of the hardest things especially when you know better especially when you know better yeah and that's in all realms right that's what happens with people who 
uh, find the latest diet and they think it's fantastic. That's also what happens with a lot of religious people. That also happens with a lot of, you know, these, that, whatever people, the people think they're saving the climate, saving the world. Like they think they know better. Perhaps they even know they know better, but then they try to, I know better. So you should do this. (laughs) One, it might not be their time. Two, they might not ever be their time. They might not ever be their time. And and three, you're just going to be annoying. (laughs) Right. A big nag. And that's, yeah, yeah. And you're making the whole thing look bad now. (laughs) Yeah. People do what they're going to do within the realm of not harming others, of course. Um, but then that opens up the conversation to be a lot more nuanced, right? What's harming others? Uh, if we allow ourselves to get sick and die, and now we're not there for our family, well, that's harming others. Um, so that, you know, in like a father or mother circumstance, it's interesting, right? There's never a, a one right solution. There never is a one right solution. And, and no. so that brings me to another question. Uh, but before I get to that question, I just want to touch on um, that. Yeah, the you, you mentioned the specific occurrences of cancer based on certain emotional occurrences. And yeah, that's something that the BeCancer.org course really goes into. And even though I knew a good amount about health and, and cancer and different correlations of energy and health, it's something that I really learned in that course. Uh, and it ended up being applicable to people that I know around me. The the same person with the green tea um, themselves were someone who uh, never quite let go of the past and the childhood. And they were just always upset about things that happened in their childhood to just an extreme degree. I'm this way because that messed me up and, blah, you know, just whatever. And they ended up getting colon cancer. Mm. They went the conventional route and had it cut out and, and you know, whatever. But uh, they they made some subsequent lifestyle and mental changes after that, and it hasn't come back. But um, I learned in the Beat Cancer course that, yeah, that thought pattern specifically ends up manifesting colon cancer. And then I showed them, and they laughed. And they're like, oh, well, they got me. <laughs> they got me <laughs> pegged, right? <laughs> It's uh, but yeah, that's certainly an interesting thing. Uh, I guess quick plug to the bcancer.org course. Um, oh yeah, I love. I mean, that course was course was huge for me, just all, for my own life, just for my own life. But yes, it's um, I lo- I love bcancer.org. Yeah, and so here's a question: You said yourself that you were someone who's tried a lot of different diets. That can open up some interesting conversation. I'm interested to know, I guess you could, if you want to quick list them off, but then also what was perhaps the most extreme one that you ever did? Or what were some, what were some of your experiences in being like a serial dieter? Yeah. Well, my first exposure to dieting was with my mom because she dieted um, Weight Watchers and I actually did Weight Watchers. Um, but she did this one where it's like a hot dog. Like you ate all this kind of weird food at the beginning of the week and then other ones. But the, actually the first diet that I did was, was the Beverly Hills something or other. Wow. But it was um, vegetables, like kind of down to plants. I mean, the bottom line is we need more plants. Uh, but I used to eat baked potatoes for breakfast and ratatouille on top of it. I can still think of that was so good. I loved potatoes for breakfast. <laughs> my best thing. <laughs> um, 
I did Jenny Craig, um, The Zone. Um, there was another one out there that was like Jenny Craig, but I can't think of Slim Genics, Slim Fast, um, Jillian Michaels with the body bug. I don't know if you remember that on where you wear this thing on your arm. It tracks your sleep and your okay. calories and um extreme exercising like crossfit i did a marathon half trail marathon i did um the warrior dash warrior dash and the spartan races those, That's cool. <laughs> those are awesome yeah um yeah i did everything uh, from extreme one oh you know one time i did the the juicing because i was suffering from hives after i had my fourth child mm-hmm. And so I watched the video, um, fat, sick, and nearly dead. And he had done this juicing regimen. So I did juicing where I did nothing but juice for 15 days, which cleared up my hives. Um, yeah, but here's the bottom line of diet. Diet is not a bad word. Diet is a way of eating. And guess what? Everybody has their own. You have your own diet. I have my own diet. And you get to create it by learning and taking from here and there and what works. But what works is more plants. Our bodies cannot function without plants. And that's why we're sick. Interesting. So you, you touched on a lot of good points there in that there's a difference. You, you said that you did a juicing diet because you were trying to accomplish X goal. And you said everyone has their own diet, et cetera. Um, I don't think there is a one size fits all diet. There's certain things that you can probably blanket say, yes, that is bad or, or that is probably healthy. Uh, but as an overall thing to say, this is a whole system that everyone should follow. I think it's very naive. And I think it, um, I think it misses, misses the mark myself to think like there's a one size fits all solution to diet because what's good for me might not be good for you. And what's good for me now might be not, might not be right for me a year from now. Uh, and that's very interesting. And so you advocate for more plants. Does that mean less animal products or no animal products? Yes. What's, what's your thoughts there? Yes. That's my hundred percent thoughts. I'm vegan. So it's taken me not, oh, it didn't happen overnight. It took, I'm going to say seven years. Well, I've been vegan now for probably a year or so. Dairy cheese was the last thing. <laughs> Here's yeah. my other thing. Coke sugar is the cocaine of food. What is it? Sugar. Sugar is the cocaine of food. Oh, easily, easily. And yeah. she and cheese is the heroin. Ooh, interesting. Those queso morphines, right? It hits the same receptors. <laughs> um, so and also because of the cancer training and because of juice plus I'm giving my juice plus because juice plus has so much education, education, but, um, because of those two, I stopped eating meat, um, because of cancer. I mean, meat, especially red meat and that bovine hormone, number one contributing fact, I should say contributing factor, but it has so many bad side effects for our body that we're not supposed to eat meat at least as much as we do. So if you're eating meat 21 times a week, that's a ton of effort on the digestion. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I, sorry, I thought Elaine, my train of thought, but yes, eliminating the animal products and the dairy, because dairy is the most highly inflammatory food we can eat. So really in the reality, getting rid of dairy is the first thing people should do. I don't want to say should, but think about. <laughs> yeah. It's but just... it does have, in the way the body functions, I mean, the way it works, I've been edu self-educating through Juice Plus and all their videos about how the body works. And the liver needs greens. In order for it to detox, it needs greens. Some people don't even eat a green in a day, let alone in seven days. It's like, what is the liver? It's just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, giving it nutrients that the body needs to function. Yeah. So without giving my personal thoughts yet, I'm going to just give some pushback for the sake of conversation, right? Yeah, let's, let's, let's go into it. Because um, I think perhaps for every vegan advocate that's living and is very clearly healthy, one, there's also a vegan advocate that's very unhealthy. But I think there's also for every vegan advocate that's very healthy, there's a uh, even a new emergence of, of carnivore diets advocates that are appearingly very, very healthy themselves. And there's some that say, okay, eat whole foods, meats that are clean and minimally processed and not loaded with the antibiotics and drink the raw uh, dairy in, instead of the pasteurized um, there. What, what's your... What do you say to that? And again, this is not an argument. I'm just interested because there's so much information in different ways. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm not saying no, I never have meat because I actually, when I got done working with a chiropractor, I was paleo and that's my tagline. Paleo is the way to go. Um, because paleo is low sugar. Even the food when you're consuming it isn't turning into sugar. And it has, um, and it's plants. So meat and plants, that's what I was eating for a long meat and plants. Now I eat plants. Um, so for me, it's not a matter of no meat. It's a matter of the right choices and the less frequency. So if somebody is a seven, three day, a, three times a day, seven days a week meat eater, I'm asking, can you do one time a day? Can you go from 21 times a week to seven? and see how your digestion does and amp up your plants. So it's not necessarily changing the diet, it's adding to it. So can you add a fruit and vegetable to, to breakfast, a fruit and vegetable to, to every one of your meals and in between and just see how you feel getting more plants in your body because that's what we used to eat. Yeah. And basically live food, not dead food. Like our processed food has no nutritional value or hard little unless you're, you know, buying good quality. But. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, to me, eating 21 times a week just sounds like a lot to me. I advocate for eating less. Well, now let me let me qualify that for men. I advocate eating less often. Uh, I think there's biological differences that support that perhaps women should be more grazing throughout the day. Uh, unhealthy things. Uh, and then it might be beneficial for men to do that sort of, in, you know, loose intermittent fasting of, of eating only once or twice a day. Um, but yeah, eating a big meal 21 times 
a week is a lot. Your body doesn't need that. We don't need as much as we think we do. Yeah. That's, that's a, and that's a huge thing. Quantity. Yes, quality, but, but quantity too. And usually sorting one helps sort the other, but it takes a breaking of a habit to stop eating as much because that's what it is. It's a habit. We are so used to the daily schedule, that rhythm of bam, 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 break. Oh, wake up. Oh, yay, breakfast. Do some stuff, do some stuff, do some stuff. And it's almost like a, you look forward to it as a relief, especially in like a working schedule. Oh, okay, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna eat lunch now. And then you, know, you do work, do work. And then you go home. Oh, I'm so excited to eat dinner. And, and that ties to the emotionality of it and, and the rhythm of it and, and the, just the normalization of it. Whereas if you were to just, you know, men in black, wipe someone's memory they might and like wipe their body as, as a clean slate they might not uh, adopt that schedule it, it's it's a working schedule is really what it is but oh, yeah. a lot of traditional uh cultures they they don't necessarily do that no um and the i know a little bit about the ayurveda um dieting or working with that modality because it it's all about body type your most your, I don't know how it all goes, but like for me, I'm a 20 hour faster. Supposedly I can eat anything and everything I want from the hours of 10 to two when the sun is at its highest. And then not again for 20 hours. That's my body type. Um, and yeah, like salads might not necessarily be good for me because I'm very airy. I'm a high air person. And so I need more grounding foods. So all of these diets that are out there have some components that you can pull in and see what works for you. But yeah, that eating so much, I only eat. So I've gotten pretty much down to that. I eat really just eat one meal a day anymore. And, you know, seven years ago, eight, 10 years ago, I was eating all the time. I couldn't like food was constantly in the front for And now it's not, it's, I see it as I'm coming to the table to nourish this beautiful body temple. Yeah, the, the body and the body needs time to process everything that you put into it, especially if you have, you know, GI issues to begin with and your digestive system isn't running as operationally as it should to just keep giving it more and more and more to deal with. It, it, it's just silly. You know, you need to let it chill out. You need to let it calm down. And then yeah. I, I firmly subscribe to the uh, school of thought that when you have food that you're digesting, well, that energy is being taken away from going everywhere else where it needs to go. The body is, you know, it's, it's a process, it's a function. Um, and so if the body has other things it has to attend to repairing that little tear here, getting rid of that inflammation there, well, you're just not giving it the full uh, capacity to do so. If you keep just hammering down food. Yeah. Of course, sometimes you might need the certain nutrients to do certain functions. And, and so it might be beneficial for those functions to do food. And that's just where it opens up again in that there is no one size fits all always. Yeah. Because myself, uh, I was actually a plant eater for several years. Uh, I grew up on the standard, you know, diet, standard American diet, cleaned up a little bit uh, when I got into bodybuilding back in university. Um, so, you know, I started to cut out the processed foods and stuff. But then I 
just came across information that convinced me to go entirely plant-based and cut out the meat and cut out the dairy, cut out the eggs. And I did it, you know, point blank. And I think that detoxed me very well. I think that period of my life was fantastic and necessary for full detoxification in, in a lot of ways. And I experimented in, in different ways of uh, fully plant-based eating. I never like to use the word vegan because yeah. I, I, just, I just don't like it. <laughs> I don't think of I'm myself. Either. I never thought of myself as, as, as a vegan. I was just a person who ate plants. Right. Um, and, and I, it was great. And, and so I really wanted to do it right. I really wanted to do it right. Cause I think uh, that's a lot of times where it gets a really bad rap because people do it wrong and they do it clearly unhealthy. So I actually hired a coach uh, this is when I was into bodybuilding as well. I hired a, she was a world champion coach um, who was vegan. And so she designed my workouts, designed my meal plans, this and that. And the whole, you can't build muscle on a vegan diet. Well, that's nonsense. Cause I'll tell you, I was the biggest I ever was fully eating plants. Now there was supplements as well. There were supplement powders and, and meal replacement powders and stuff. So, you know, you get into the argument, well, does that count? Does it not? I don't know. Um, to the whole, you can't build muscle though. That's nonsense. And I think it was just fantastic. I felt my vision get clearer, even though I didn't have bad vision. I felt my skin clear up. I, I felt just that time period allowed myself to detox heavy. And then several years later, uh, it got to the point for me where no matter what combination of plants I was trying, I felt innately like I was missing something. And then uh, coupled with a, a bit of a consciousness shift and, and different, you know, mental framing coming to think that, okay, maybe eating meat isn't inherently evil. Um, I, I started incorporating the, the meat and animal products back in and I felt my body go from, I feel like I'm missing something back to, Hey, now you're good. And, and uh, my health has increased again since then. And that's why I'm really an advocate for, there's no one size for everybody always. Um, I, I really think it's important to listen to your body and your bodily circumstances. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And like I said, meat done in the right way. Um, the one meat not to eat is processed. Yeah, we could definitely agree there. And you know what it is? The carnivores and the vegans agree on more than they disagree with. Right? They all agree that you shouldn't be eating the processed garbage. Yeah, agreed. We can agree that no matter what food you're eating, it should actually be food and not a food-like product. Yeah. You know? hey. <laughs> we, they need to unite. There needs to be some unite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you also said something that about a habit, like overeating or whatever. And it's really what it is. It's building a conscious lifestyle. We are so asleep on ourselves. And so it's like, where can you wake up? And it's, um, and uh, yeah, our eating habits is one we're so, we're so asleep on. So uh, yeah, it's about building a conscious lifestyle. Absolutely. And that is on all levels, right? It's what am I putting into my mouth and why? What am I putting onto my body and why? What environments am I putting myself in and why? How am I keeping my home and why? You know, you have yep. everything is worth questioning why and also 
what effect is that having on me? If I move my arm like this, then what happens? You know, that will I strain my shoulder, this and that. And yeah, that sounds pretty like, uh, like anal, you know, to begin with. But once you get in the flow of that's just how you live, you just live in a conscious way. Then it's, it's just your default. And you realize how much you can optimize your outcome by optimizing your input into your life. Yeah. That's how I see it. <laughs> Say it again, Zach. <laughs> What's that? Say it again, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So I, it sounds like uh, along the cereal dieting, um, it was a lot of the commercial stuff. So how do you feel about that looking back? Do you, you feel like, you know, because, I mean, they, they manipulate people, right? Because they're, they're corporate diets in in a way yeah any thoughts on that and if those are ever good for society or you know is there anything that you look back and you say ah they were really just trying to sell me some nonsense yeah no I don't really look back at it in any way now I've like you talked about that um living in the past I've been really really working on that uh, myself that not hold not pulling stuff like that um, because another caption that I come across is that you cannot hate the experiences that shaped you, right? These are the things that shaped me to who I am today. So yeah, sometimes there might be harder, like, oh, that was wasted of effort, but it's a way of saying, thank you spirit for showing me this way or what, like for me this year is like, thank you spirit for showing me the areas that I don't value myself that the areas I'm not loving myself because I'm asking that in from my relationships around me. So no, I don't. And I've learned something from every one of them uh, because I apply things like, I mean, food prep. I'm, I, I don't prep food now because I'm a princess and where I live, I get cooked food. So, <laughs> <laughs> but food prep was huge for me. I mean, I have four kids at a corporate job. I mean, that if I was going to eat nutritiously and healthy, I needed that. I needed that. Um, and recipes. So yeah, I feel like there's been a nugget in everything I've done. Do you think someone can be healthy without faith? Ooh, that's a deep question. <laughs> no, I don't. Because when I was in college, I took philosophy for the first time and she said a profound thing. She said, it doesn't matter what you believe, what your religion, whatever, if it doesn't prepare you for death, if you, it, you basically, you need something higher than yourself to prepare you for death. And that was the bottom line. And that stuck with me. And so, no, I do think, I don't think somebody can be completely whole if they don't have some type of spirituality connection to higher self, higher source. I agree with that. I took a philosophy course in university. I went to the first class and read a 30 page paper about how a table isn't a table. I promptly switched out of that class. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I loved philosophy. Philosophy was one of my favorite classes. Yeah. I love philosophical study. I just, then uh, that's, 
was not within my workload. <laughs> I'm a street philosopher. I don't want to do it in a university setting. Don't make me write a paper about it. Let me just read it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's beautiful, though. Um, I think a last question, just because I'm personally interested uh, for someone that I know. You mentioned earlier that you struggled with high blood pressure to begin with. No, that's like it's still always borderline. I've been working on it for almost 10 years. Yeah. Is there any things that you specifically recommend if someone's dealing with high blood pressure? Well, for me, it's to know the, what's working in the back. Like for me, it's something to, it's, uh, for me, I think it's generational because it runs in my family. So to me, it's like, what pattern is being handed down for some type of anxiety? Like what's keeping the heart tense? Um, and same with like cholesterol, like statin is like one of the number one prescribed pharmas. Oh, it just pisses me the hell off <laughs> because cholesterol is created by our body to soothe our heart. Cholesterol is lotion for the heart. So to me, it's like, when you say it to someone, it's like, what does your heart need soothing from? Um, so a first diet and weight, I know we talked about weight earlier, but even losing 10% of your body weight would reduce your blood pressure. Cause it's less, it's working less, not working as hard. So for me, diet first and then stresses meditation. Um, yeah. So really, really the basics, right? Because the heart yeah. is the center of it all. So you got to, have all the foundational things right otherwise of course it's going to be stressed out yeah it's stress i mean stress is the new killer in a way it's the new smoking so even though like i said if you we're not being chased by a lion but if you're thinking about all the things that are panicking you it's just like being chased by a lion what do you think is the role media plays in artificially inducing that feeling always Oh, the fear. I mean, the constant society is pumping fear. It's like, how do we add more fear? How do we add more fear? And that's what's contributing to it instead of being focused on love. Um, so yeah, for me, it's the fear. If it bleeds, right? The lane, if it bleeds, it leads. And that's how I, I don't want to put it in here, but that's exactly what I saw COVID as is just a huge fear factor. It just came in and lightning bolt of fear. And to see the the fallout from that is going to be, we're going to start seeing it now. I mean, the spikes are going to go up and disease. When I say media, I'm not even just talking about the, you know, alleged news outlets, but what about these things that people are listening to and watching on the daily in, in the form of their music, in the form of their TV shows, their sitcoms? How do you think that's playing on the heart? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just listened to a debate at my daughter's debate um, tournament, and they talked about the uh, murder crime, true crime podcasts and series. And yeah, it's it's almost desensitizing us that it's okay, normalizing that it's okay to, that our answers are to kill that 
normalizing. It's almost normalizing fear and violence in our lives. So yeah, it's playing a huge factor. Yeah. Filter it, filter it. (laughs) (laughs) Becca, where can people find you? If you want to be found, what you want to plug your social medias, your, your business websites or anything? Yeah. Well, my business website is in works because it was ownyourwellness.com. However, I'm transitioning over to beatcancer.org stuff because <laughs> you guys have everything. <laughs> um, but you can find me on social media. I'm Becca Copeland, C-O-P-E-L-A-N-D on Facebook and Becca Buttons 22 on Instagram. What else do I have? Becca Buttons on Facebook as well. My business is tune-ups with Becca and own your wellness. I call my own your wellness, my yoga. And yeah, that's where you can find me and beatcancer.org. Awesome. Beatcancer.org. Find a coach. She's listed in there. Becca, thank you for this conversation. This was wonderful. I would absolutely love to do it again sometime if you'd like to be on again. Uh, do you have any, any closing, closing things you'd like to leave the viewers with? Any, uh, what note would you like to go out with? What does the world need? What should what should the viewer oh, do right now? The world needs more love. And I hope that you find love each and every day of your life. Beautiful. Becca, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for inviting me. Today's guest was a cancer coach certified with the BeatCancer.org online education and certification program. Whether you're a patient with cancer yourself, a caregiver of someone with cancer, a medical professional, you want to become a cancer coach, or simply interested in learning about science-backed methods of battling or preventing cancer, the BeatCancer.org online course and community is a fantastic place to start or continue your education in holistic health and wellness. You can find the link in the description of whatever platform you're on or go to beatcancer.org and click become a coach. Use promo code Zach for a discount on your purchase. That's Z-A-K for a discount on your purchase of the online course. As a nonprofit, all proceeds go towards continuing to offer and improve the many free educational resources that beatcancer.org offers. Cancer is far too prevalent in today's world, but it is beatable. Nobody has to feel alone in their diagnosis. Nobody has to feel lost in their healing. BeCancer.org has your back. We've got hundreds of coaches all around the world, so do not hesitate to get the help that you need and the help that you deserve. Take your power back and remember that you can beat cancer.